you'll turn with me to Philippians 3, 7 through 11. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the very word of God. My friend leaned over to me as we shared a meal together and said, Ben, let me ask you a question. He said, would it make any difference to your faith if you knew beyond any question that there was um, alien life, life on other planets? I looked at him and didn't have to think very long. I said, that wouldn't make any difference to me. After all, I'm a Christian. I already believe in extraterrestrial life. But then I looked at him and I said, but let me ask you a question. I said, what if you knew beyond any question that Jesus of Nazareth, having been crucified under Pontius Pilate, three days later, rose again. Would that make any difference to you? My atheist friend hesitated less than I did in answering his question. <laughs> he just chuckled and said, it would make all the difference. I want to speak to you this morning about the power of the resurrection. Christians, I know I'm speaking to many, probably most in this room are followers of Jesus. But it's my concern that my atheist friend grasped the significance, the power of what happened to Jesus of Nazareth more than we sometimes do. If it's true that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, then everything, listen, I mean everything, has a new meaning. Everything. There's a new power that has now invaded this present world, a power that can only be described as a victorious power, a, a power that is stronger, listen, stronger than death itself the power of the resurrection. So this morning, I want to invite you Christians and non-Christians, if you're with us this morning, to consider some questions. What is it that we actually believe about Easter Sunday? Let's get clear about that. What do we believe actually happened on that day? Second, what does this belief mean for us in the future, in the days after we've drawn our final breath. 
But third, what does this belief mean for us now? What, if any, are the implications for Easter Sunday in the everyday experiences of life? Resurrection. And that's the Bible term for what we're describing here. Resurrection is the hope, is the hope that empowers the Christian life. Resurrection is the hope that empowers the Christian life. And if we're going to appropriate that, appropriate that if we're going to grasp that significance, then again, we need to first get clear about what we believe happened on Easter Sunday. The claim of Easter Sunday. Only then will we know the goal of the Christian faith and then find a power, a motivation for daily living. So the claim of Easter Sunday, the goal of the Christian faith, and the motivation for daily living. He is risen. You should have been waiting for that. He is risen. Let's be clear then first on what we mean. Resurrection is the claim of Easter. Now, I know that maybe you think we don't need to ponder here, stay here much, very, very long. Perhaps it seems quite obvious what it is Christians believe about the question, what happened on Easter Sunday? We believe that what happened is that Jesus of Nazareth, having been crucified by the Roman government just three days prior, came back to life. He was crucified. His body was laid in a tomb. And on the first day of the week, he came alive again. The same body that was buried in that tomb walked out of the tomb in which he had been placed. But I want to, again, just let us hover here for a moment to make sure we are clear about something. The claim of resurrection depends first on the reality that Jesus of Nazareth was really dead to begin with. In the famous story, The Wizard of Oz, the Wicked Witch of the East is killed by Dorothy's house dropping on top of her. You remember the scene, the little... Ruby slipper hanging out from underneath the house. And the munchkins, of course, are ready to celebrate. Their nemesis, the wicked witch of the East, is dead. And they begin to dance and celebrate. But then all of a sudden, here comes the munchkin judge to kind of put a damper on the party. And he says this, we've got to verify it legally. We've got to see if she is morally, ethically, spiritually, physically, positively, absolutely, undeniably, and reliably dead. Because, of course, we might explain Easter Sunday by saying that Jesus merely swooned, that he was not actually dead. We might want to say that Jesus experienced something of a near-death experience, something like what we sometimes hear others say that they've experienced. And as amazing as it would be for someone to survive Roman crucifixion and then be able to walk out of a sealed and guarded tomb just days later, as amazing as that would be, this will not suffice for the Christian faith. 
Or perhaps we can say that Jesus came back from the dead. Like we might think perhaps a spirit or a ghost of someone who has died makes an appearance. Perhaps what Jesus' disciples saw was an apparition or a phantom. And if that were true, that would be amazing. It would be the kind of stuff that would capture our attention. The kind of thing that would make you listen. Well, maybe kind of mysterious. But if that's what we mean by resurrection, it would be the end of Christianity. This is not what we mean when we say that Jesus was raised from the dead. Okay, okay, so we get it. Jesus came back to life. But, but wait, didn't other people in the Bible go through the same experience? Both Elijah and Elisha brought back people from the dead according to the Old Testament. Jesus himself restored life to the son of a widow in Luke chapter 7. And of course, you'll remember the stories of raising the daughter of Jairus in Luke 8. Or the story of Lazarus being raised in John 11. Peter and Paul each did something similar as we read the stories in the book of Acts. So what's different about Jesus? Is this what we mean when we talk about resurrection? That okay, Jesus really died. He was brought back to life. That's cool, but that's happened in the Bible too, so we just add him into the mix. And if that's how you think of resurrection, listen, Christian, you've misunderstood the importance and the power of Easter Sunday. There is something incredibly different about Jesus' resurrection. While the other events are spectacular, this event is unique in all of history. Jesus did not just come back from the dead later to die again. Jesus' resurrection came after he not only died, but also overcame death. Overcame death. The same body that was buried in the tomb came out of the tomb. But the same body that came out of the tomb was transformed. The body that was raised was Make no mistake, a body, a full human body. But there's something different about this body. Something different has happened. This body having gone into death and not just coming back from it or from some near-death experience, but coming out of death, through death, overcoming death, victorious over death, is now a body that is immortal, ageless, the resurrected Jesus was fully embodied, but this was a body that no longer was capable of dying. That's what we mean. That's what we confess when we say on the third day, he was raised from the dead. And this is also why Paul says he wants what Jesus has. In this text, notice what Paul says here in verse 11. When you understand the meaning of resurrection, the claim of Easter Sunday, then all that you could possibly say is what Paul says in verse 11. He says, by any means possible, I want that. I want to attain the resurrection from the dead. He says, I'll trade everything to have this. How about you? How about you? Now, I know it sounds like wishful thinking, the idea that your dead body would not just be resuscitated, come back to life, but that your dead body would have gone into death, overcome death, come out through death, never able to die again. Immortal bodies. 
But if Jesus rose from the dead in this way, if this is the claim of Easter Sunday, if Jesus did exactly what he said he would do, then what if, just what if, that could happen to you too? That is the Christian hope. It is the Christian promise. It's the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of the good news. The Christian message is not when death comes, don't worry about death. You get to go to heaven and live in a disembodied soul. The Christian message is greater than that. The Christian message is there is a way to beat death, to overcome death, to come out of it alive, embodied, immortal, never to die again. That is the claim of Easter Sunday. Now, we have to insist on this, brothers and sisters. The Apostle Paul says, if Christ has not been raised in this way, we are still in our sins. This is at the heart of all that it means to believe in Christ and to be a Christian. Once we are clear about what it is that we claim about the resurrection of Jesus, we can be clear about what it is that we are after by believing in him. What is the goal of the Christian faith? What are we hoping for? And the answer is resurrection. Resurrection. So again, this is why Paul says what he says in verse 11. He wants to attain by any means possible the resurrection from the dead. And in the verses that follow, verses 12 to the end of the chapter, he explains how it is that he strives toward that goal. It's a goal that's still ahead of him. He doesn't claim to have been resurrected already. It's something that's still in the future for him. He's striving after it. But I want you to know the following verses, Philippians 3, 12 and following, read outside the context of what happened to Jesus on Easter Sunday are often misunderstood. So for example, when Paul says in verse 14, look at it that he presses on toward the goal, which he calls the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Here's how many Christians hear those words. They think it's, it's Paul saying he's striving toward the goal of going up <laughs> to heaven. That the Christian goal is to get there. That's the end. That's the prize. And then, incorporating the clear statement of what he says in verse 11, the goal of resurrection from the dead simply becomes another way of speaking about life after death. And that's a serious misunderstanding of Paul, the Bible, and all of Christianity. And these kinds of misunderstandings have a costly impact on how we practice and promote the Christian faith. Christians, we should be eager to dispel the myth that the prize that we're after is a disembodied life out there. 
The goal we are after is resurrection, immortality of the body. So the upward call of God in Christ Jesus in verse 14 cannot be read in contradiction to the aim of verse 11, resurrection from the dead. They must not be understood in such a way that points us in different directions. We got to keep clear in our mind the goal, the prize, the aim of the Christian faith is to be raised from the dead, immortal. Or to say it another way, the goal, the prize is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, how do we see these two things not in contradiction but as complementary to each other? Here's how we do it. Understand that God's upward call, his upward call is his gracious invitation for us to set our minds on eternal, immortal things, things that will last forever. We've become so accustomed to mortal life that this is not an easy invitation to respond to. Sadly, many people, including many professing Christians, verse 18 says, look at it, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. I I doubt there's anyone sitting here today who would say, I am an enemy of the cross of Christ. But Paul says, this is sad that many people live their lives as enemies of the cross. Verse 19 explains These enemies of the cross are those, look what he says, whose minds are set on earthly things. Do you see the the distinction here? Enemies of the cross have their minds set on mortal things. This is the greatest obstacle in our way as we strive for the prize of resurrection. The enemy is the ever-present temptation to settle for the best mortal life that we could have, even if Jesus is the excuse to justify it. Enemies of the cross determine their priorities based on temporary calculations. They make their decisions based on what will be most beneficial now or in 40 years from now. Temporary calculations. Enemies of the cross are incapable of seeing the immortal realities to which God calls us to. Calls us out of our mortal way of thinking to upward call to eternal things. Enemies of the cross... Don't consider moving to a dangerous place in the world where the gospel is not treasured for the sake of making Christ known to people there. No enemy of the cross would ever consider such a thing. Paul describes them as pursuing the God, which is their belly. Verse 19, they live by their appetites. That is the present moment, their instincts. But God graciously, listen, graciously calls us upward. He calls us to set our minds on things that are heavenly, which is just another way of saying immortal, eternal. 
If you believe that the only life after this is a disembodied life in heaven, then you're still going to miss the point. Christ did not die in order to purchase for us a different life in heaven. He died in order to save this life from certain death. He died to call you and me upward, to rescue us from the banal existence of knowing we are plunging into a future with no real hope. So we try with all of our might to make the present as eternal as we can. So, some, like my atheist friend, say this mortal life is all there is. Others, many Christians, place their hope in a disembodied life after death. But do you see the distinct, you see the similarities there? Without hope and resurrection, both of these views are in opposition to the Christian gospel and what it means for life today. One says, this life's all you got, so live it up best you can, make the most of it. The other says, this life is going to pass away. We got a different life there, so it doesn't really matter anyway. And they end up in the same place. The Christian gospel is a different message. You see, if the Christian hope is true, if the claim of Easter is resurrection, immortal bodies, then everything's transformed. It makes all the difference. If we believe in resurrection, then there is a certain continuity to our lives now and the immortal life to come. Did you hear that? If what we believe is that these bodies, the ones I'm looking at right now, if these bodies are going to be raised, incorruptible, immortal, then there is some continuity. The body of Jesus that comes out of the grave is the same body that went in. Yes? Are you with me? So that means if we believe in resurrection, then this life that we live has new meaning. There's continuity. Belief in resurrection adds meaning to our ordinary mundane lives because it promises that life goes on. Just think of it, Christian. When Jesus rose from the dead with an immortal body, he didn't appear altogether different from how he appeared on earth. He still went fishing. He ate food. He talked to his disciples. Resurrection means we are back into a world, though a new world, not in an altogether different world. There's continuity with life as we know it. And that means your life right now, today, has new meaning. First, it means that there can only be one thing that can be the greatest ambition of life. If, if the resurrection is true, if the claim of Easter Sunday is true, there's only one thing that can be the greatest ambition of life. So Paul says in our text, verse 8, he considered every gain that he had in this life as loss. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because the prize of the Christian faith is not a place, such as heaven, but a person, the greatest ambition is to know this person. That's the greatest ambition. 
the thing you're after more than anything else is to know this life. John says, John 17, 3, this is eternal life that they might know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That's the great ambition of life is to know life eternal, to know the risen Christ. Do you know him? The upward call of God of which Paul speaks, he says in verse 14, is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Christ died and rose again to give us eternal life. And God has called us, according to 1 Corinthians 1.9, into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Because we believe in resurrection, the greatest ambition, the greatest treasure of our life could be nothing less than to know this Jesus. Or as Paul says in verse 9, to be found in him. To possess his righteousness. How do you have the righteousness of Christ? By being in Christ. How do you get into Christ? By faith. The righteousness from God, Paul says, depends on faith. Believing Christ, knowing Christ, loving Christ. That is the great ambition of our lives if Jesus has been raised. But second, because of the resurrection, our lives take on new meaning because Christ makes us citizens of heaven. Verse 20. Again, you read verse 20 without a clear understanding of the claim of Easter Sunday, you're going to read it completely wrong. What does Paul mean when he says, Christians, we have a great ambition of knowing the resurrected Christ, like fellowship with him, like you would know anybody else, a relationship of being united to Jesus now and forever. That's the great ambition. But then he says, we are citizens of heaven. What does that mean? In the ancient Roman world, the point about citizenship is not the hope of one day going back to live in the homeland. It's the privilege of living in a strange place, but by the rules of the mother city. Do you hear this? In the ancient Roman world, to be a citizen doesn't mean that one day you're hoping to get back to the homeland. It means I live in a foreign land, a strange place, but I live with the privileges of the homeland and I live by its rules. I'm a citizen of another place. To live as citizens of heaven means that we live our lives by a different politic than any that could ever be imposed on us by any government, by any other worldview. As Christians, we're never quite at home, no matter where we live, no matter when we live, because we are citizens of heaven. We play by different rules. We obey our Lord because we love him. He alone has our loyalty and allegiance. And this means... Don't be surprised, Christian, if you find yourself in trouble from time to time because our citizenship does not mean that our hope is to escape back to heaven, but to wait, Paul says, to wait for our emperor, for our Lord, for our sovereign to come and deliver us. 
from all of our difficulties. We're citizens of heaven. We have the privilege of living by that ethic. But then third, because of resurrection, our lives take on new meaning because all that we suffer in this life, listen, all that we suffer in this life will only result in us knowing Christ more. Paul says in verse 10, something strange. It makes no sense unless we understand the claim of Easter Sunday. I want to know him, he says. I want to know the power of his resurrection. You see it? But then he says, I want to share in his sufferings. I want to become like him in his death. We're, we're a pretty young church. I don't know if you've noticed this, but <clears throat> old people start talking about body aches and pains. Uh, okay, we got, we got a witness over here. Um, I'm finding... I'm starting to do that more. And frankly, it's annoying. It's annoying. <laughs> People, oh, it's so bad to get old. And it really does hurt, you young people. It's coming for you. But listen to me. If the claim of Easter Sunday is true, why would you ever want to go back to your youth? Why would you want to ever go back when the future ahead of you is knowing Christ more and more? I want to press on and know this Christ who rose from the dead more. I want to press on and love him more. And suffering and difficulty, and aches, and pains, and the deterioration of the body are all worth it if by them we know the power of his resurrection. So on this Easter Sunday, as we've convened again as a church to rejoice, to celebrate together, we remember the claim of Easter, that Jesus did not just resuscitate. He didn't just appear. He came through death, fully alive, embodied, and immortal. And if that's the claim, then the goal of all the Christian life is to know this Jesus, to know him, to follow after him. The motivation for all of our lives, even in the pains and suffering that we will face, some of you facing them now, will only magnify the richness of his power, the power of his resurrection, if we maintain our hope in the resurrected Christ. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, may this be the prayer of everyone who is in Christ. We could ponder forever the meaning, the richness of Jesus being raised. No one else has experienced this resurrection 
but Jesus. And yet the hope of the entire Bible is that there will be a resurrection from the dead. And now in history, we have proof. We have proof not only that it has happened, but also that for those who are in Christ, it will happen to them. Those who share with him in a death like his, the Bible says, will also share with him in a resurrection like his. So Jesus, we want to know you. We want to love you. We want to know the power of your resurrection. We want to fellowship with you even in your sufferings so that we might be found in Christ, not possessing one drop of a righteousness of our own, but a righteousness that is ours through faith, through belief, through our union with the resurrected Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.